If, if, if you put down the money, if you were going to actually write one of these, you better darn sure know what you're going to say on it. Romans wasn't written on the back of a napkin, right? I thought you were going to say Romans wasn't written in a day. <laughs> Just making up your own little sayings here on the podcast. Welcome to Switching Lenses, a podcast that takes current issues and events within the culture and defends the Christian position from an apologetical and biblical lens. Now, here are your hosts, Shane Skirvin and Josh Phillips. Welcome, everybody, to the Switching Lenses podcast. I'm Josh Phillips, joined always by Mr. Shane Skirvin. And Shane, we find ourselves right in the middle of our season one, this, our brand new seasonal format we have. And in this season one, we're asking the question, what is truth? We're going to dive deep into that question And we thought, what better place to start than with the Bible, the foundation of all truth. And so we've dedicated this whole season to answering questions about our Bible. Like, where did it come from? How did we get the Old Testament? How did we get the New Testament? And today, that's actually what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about where did our New Testament come from? What criteria was set up to determine what books would be in our New Testament that we have today? How are the books of the New Testament written? And then lastly, did a bunch of old white guys with big beards decide what books would be in our New Testament We will answer all these questions today and help us find out how did we get our New Testament. So how was the New Testament collected? Shane, the church had a basic criteria, three sets of criteria they used to determine whether or not a letter or a book that had been written by, by someone was actually, was it scriptural? Was it actually inspired by God? Was it canonical? Uh, Shane, what was the first question that they would ask? So our first one is orthodoxy, that it has to flow from the foundation of the Old Testament, that in both both the positive and the negative aspect, that it can't be contradictory, Okay, but then it also has to flow with the themes, the types and shadows, and the prophecy of the Old Testament, that that it has to fit in line, like a like a like a fruit from the root. Okay, okay, okay. So Shane, some people think that you know they think back to the Old Testament law, right? And they think so. So Jesus comes and like all that's like done away with, and all those things, those harsh things. You know, some people. You know, you've, I'm sure you've heard the old saying, you know, God got saved in the New Testament. <laughs> But people kind of think that way sometimes, right? They kind of see the New Testament as sort of this new way. It it was a new way of doing things, but not in the sense that we ignored or, you know, did away with all all the old, that it was not now meaningless, that um, that maybe there was like a a contradiction between the New Testament and Old Testament. But it really wasn't that way. It It really kind of flowed together, right? Yeah, well, and, and it takes a certain amount of familiarity with the Old Testament to see that. You know, if you do a light surface reading, I could see you seeing maybe you're like, oh, I, I don't see the connection. But it's actually the deeper you go, the better you see that connection. Yeah. When, the, when you get down deep into the Old Testament and see the, the the complex themes, the spirit of the Old Testament, you know, then you start to really see the stream that uh, pours into the New Testament, you know, bringing that life and blood and nutrients into the New Testament. So amazingly, it's, it's, it's the deeper you go, the better you see it. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty plain to see that a lot of these New Testament authors, I mean, they knew their Hebrew Bible. They knew it really well. And they even write 
in their documents, in their letters, they write oh. as if you kind of know it as well too. Well, that's yeah, right, and and that's what we're talking about, right? There, there, there's an assumption that's being played into uh, that we're have a, a like uh, familiarity that they do, right? Right. They're playing yeah. off of that, yeah, <laughs> because that, that I mean, that culture was so. I mean, it was just what. What does uh, the Islamic world call Christians, people and Jews, people of the book? Yeah, people right? of the book, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that we were seen as people that um, had these authoritative texts we were working from. Right, right. So our, so our first set of criteria we have is orthodoxy, right? Mm-hmm. It can't, mm-hmm. uh, these New Testament documents can't contradict the Old Testament, but it's not just about like an, almost like in a negative way. It's not that it can't yes. contradict it. It also that it flows with it, right? Yep, yep. And I actually think a great example of this that we see in Scripture is in Acts 17, verses 10 through 11. Uh, if I can just read it really quick, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, and here it is right here, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So we see a great example right there of looking back to the Old Testament and checking with what they were saying. Does it flow with what we're reading in the Hebrew Bible in that Old Testament? Okay, Shane, we got orthodoxy as our first set of criteria. What is our second set of criteria? An apostolic connection. So the early church placed a very high value on the authority of the apostles um, as, you know, Jesus selected them and and as he chose them to go out towards, you know, to the world with his message. And so the writings had to um, be connected or um, originate from an apostle. And, and even the books that um, maybe that you don't see it as, as clearly, like like we talked about Mark or Luke, um, there was still an apostolic connection, even if those authors, I mean, you saw a very clear connection to an apostle. Right, right. Yeah. And, and for those that don't know, for instance, like Luke, like you mentioned, uh, Luke was not an apostle, mm. but he was really close to Paul. He worked in close conjunction yes. with Paul. We read that in the book yeah. of Acts. Um, but that's where he had that apostolic connection. Uh, Mark, Mark, the other one you mentioned, uh, Mark was not an apostle, but... Uh, he was very, very close to Peter, and many yes. think you know that Mark's gospel is actually Peter's account, his his gospel account. Um, yes, Mark just sort of wrote it for him, or yeah. you know, he was. But he, we we know he was the author of that. Mm. But uh, take for instance like the book of Hebrews. You know, yeah. like we we don't even know who the author of Hebrews is, right? Yeah, um, it hasn't came down to us, but we clearly see the early church knew who the author was. Uh, the, cons- the kind of the majority view is Apostle Paul, but. Um, you know, it references Brother Timothy um, in the the book of Hebrews. And so there's a clear connection. We know that written sermon, whoever um, wrote it, we know the early church was familiar with that person. So but by sermon, you're referring to the book of Hebrews, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a written sermon as opposed to maybe a, a classical written letter. Um but it, but it, it definitely, um, it in the way that it referenced itself and the way the early church saw it, they knew who the author was. It's just less clear to us. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so so far, the first set of the criteria, orthodoxy, right? The New Testament documents had to fall in line with the Hebrew Bible and what the church already knew to be true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Secondly, an apostolic connection. 
either an apostle had to write the book or there had to be somebody who was very closely linked in some way to one of the apostles. Either one of those would uh, satisfy the criteria of apostolic yep. connection. Yep. Okay, Shane, why don't you get us to our last one here? And a lot of people may not know this one, so why don't you help us out here a little bit? Yeah, um, I, I like the idea of what, what does the Bible say by uh, two or three every... Um uh, witnesses, you know, something should be, you know, it shouldn't be, should be referenced off one or two. I love the idea how it's three. Um, so the third, uh, being universal acceptance or churchwide consensus. And really, uh, the canonization process could be seen as affirming what the early church already saw the high value they had placed on these books, right? Like there was already a churchwide agreement, um, acceptance, like we said, consensus that these books were it, right? They were being used in this manner. They were connected to a, 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 an apostle, but they, and then they were um, flowing with the canon of the Old Testament and having this amazing effect in, in the life of the churches, right? And so um, almost, 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 what, I mean, what would you say? Almost a democratic process in a way. I mean, almost a, a churchwide vote. Yeah, uh, for the kind of in a way, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like, speaking to like a democratic process, um, I think it's really easy to assume, kind of, you know, that a lot of the early churches maybe they had access to the entire New Testament like that we have, but I mean, I, I think it's pretty probable that a lot of the churches, you know, maybe only had a few of the letters that they had to them. Um, they had like laying around and whatnot, but yeah. I mean, there were probably some that did have yeah. have all of them. Some maybe most probably didn't had some but what's interesting about that is that they all recognize them as god breathed like these were being accepted uh very early on as god breathed this is definitely from god i mean it very quickly gained universal uh, acceptance yeah i mean look at how we how our criteria with classics right something that stands the test of time i mean the absolute quality of these books were affirmed uh by the churches yeah absolutely absolutely Okay, so let's uh, kind of recap this. So the three sets of criteria that determined whether or not the New, the New Testament books um, were God-breathed, were scriptural, was one, orthodoxy. Did it, you know, did it conflict with the Old Testament? Or, or more importantly, did it flow with, uh, with the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament? Was there an apostolic connection to the author? Was it an apostle himself or somebody that's very closely associated with that apostle? And then lastly, universal church acceptance. The church uh, had accepted many of these books already. They were already being used. They weren't waiting for some sort of canonization process. There was sort of this understanding, this very quick realization, this quick revelation that these were actual God-breathed scriptural books. With, with with, with with great fruit, right? They saw the fruit of these books. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, now that we've wrapped up those three points, let's move on to our second question, and that's going to be, how were the New Testament documents written? All right, Shane, let's get to our second question that we have here, and that is, how were these New Testament documents written? Now, to start out with real quick, you know, I think sometimes people, there's, there's a lot of different views about how these New Testament documents, or any, any book in the Bible for that matter, how it was actually penned. Like what, how, what was that creation process? What did it actually look like? Um, you know, it's, it's real popular. And I, th- I think I even thought this maybe at some point uh, early on in my life that maybe like the, the gospel authors or any of the biblical authors just sort of went unconscious 
and by the spirit and then woke up and realized, oh my gosh, look what I wrote. I can't believe I wrote all this. And maybe some others just thought, you know, oh, maybe they did just sort of, they were fully conscious and just kind of whipped this together and threw it together. Um, but it really didn't work that way. And I think it's, you know, we, we, we sort of like to impress some of our modern conventions, some of our modern ideas onto these ancient people. You know, for us, it's so easy. We If, if I want to communicate with somebody across the globe, for that matter, I could just whip up an email really quick and within seconds, they've got it. Now, we're not so naive to think that that's exactly how people communicated back then, but maybe we scale it down. We really scale it down a little bit. And we tend to think, well, you know, just because it's so easy for us to write up a document, they could probably, you know, to some degree like that, they could probably whip one together pretty quick. But it really doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. So, Shane, how were these documents written? Yeah, they, uh, some of the letters have, uh, they're amazingly um, deep theology and have not just, not just the open links to the Old Testament, but in, I call it thought continuation. Okay. I mean, you see the, the deeper you get to the thoughts of the Old Testament, and then you see those same thoughts picked up in the New Testament and continued on. I mean, you're realizing, hey, I'm I'm in the presence of some deep theology, right? I'm in the presence of some complex thinking, you know. And and I've I've often mentioned I don't think Apostle Paul gets his due um, from the secular world as far as what a profound and complex thinker and the effect he had on the world. Um, I've 100%. mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you take someone like a secular Jewish man, Sigmund Freud, and he had profound respect for Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, saying this is this is actually really deep and cross-referencing and, and laying out very complex ideas, mm-hmm. you know, and, and drawing up sources and evidence. You know, he's building a bridge of support for the assertions that he's making, you know. And so um, you just, you have to have respect for the theology uh, of the epistles. I mean, I mean, they're really, uh, like you said, someone didn't just uh, throw it together or stumble and, oh, oh, here it is. It's, it's so intentional. Um, you, you, Josh, have mentioned it being a group effort, right? Right. That right. It, it wasn't just one person on a lark. No, definitely not. I mean, I mean go, go back to your previous point, though. Uh, like what you were saying about Romans. I mean, Romans is incredibly dense, <laughs> incredibly dense. I mean, I know it's like I start reading it you know, and Paul's trying to make a point and as he's sort of uh, building up to his point and he, you know, he's writing all this stuff and, you know, even the things he's writing like this are supposed to lead me to the point, even those little, those previous statements, I'm sort of like, wait, wait, what did he just say? Like, what was that? Uh, let me start over. Hold on. Let me go back and read that. I mean, he's saying so much. I mean, that particular letter, it wasn't, it's not just Romans. I mean, it's all of scripture, but I'm just using Romans as an example. Man, it was not thrown together. That was very well thought out. Now, now, I have to say, of course, all scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yes. I'm not trying to make yes. this, you know, a human work by any stretch. But I do think, you know, that humans partnered with God in creating this. And there's that human thumbprint on it, even though it is inspired yeah. by the Holy Spirit. And I think if, you know, as, as you go through this, as, as you read these documents, you, you see this complexity that we're talking about. You see this sort of, this brilliant, this highly sophisticated type of writing. I think if you like any kind of a close look, you can well, see that. And an eye for detail, right? So you said not just Apostle Paul, but look at Luke. Look at Luke's attention, uh, writing both Acts and the Gospel of Luke. Look at his uh, eye for detail, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's another one, like you said, that he, you could tell he researched 
um, his subject matter and, and it shows, you know, with the, the level of detail and that he shows the way he's so intentional about laying out a story. I mean, th- th- that's also an amazing, uh, Luke writing, uh, the gospel of Luke and it's a companion, the book of Acts. Or even Matthew's gospel account. I mean, Matthew's constantly mm-hmm. going back to the old Testament. I mean, it's, yes. it's very sophisticated yes. in that sense. He has so many references going back to the old Testament. Now, I mean, I, I guess you could make the argument and say like, Oh, well, you know, he knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand. Maybe he could whip it together. Uh, I tend to think that's not the case. I mean, as you go through and you look through his account, like there's so many different references in there. Uh, he's he's viewing these events that he witnessed through the lens of the Old Testament. And, you know, I, I don't think that's an easy work to put together. I think it's highly sophisticated. And, I, you know, and I think it's unfortunate that a lot of a lot of Christians kind of miss out on some of these details. Uh, you know, maybe they're just trying to check the checkbox of reading their Bible that day and are just really just trying to work through a chapter or, or work through, you know, whatever, whatever the, whatever the amount of scripture they're trying to read that day. Um, they really, they miss a lot of this stuff. You know, you know, here's a good example. Here's, here's a good way of, um, of looking at this. Um, you know, especially going back to Romans, for instance, for, for instance here, um, you know, you, you read through Romans, really really all the epistles, really. You, you go through all these letters and you're reading through, and what you notice is there's a really common theme that comes up repeatedly through there. And it's these authors making this case like, hey, this guy Jesus, like, he, he resurrected. He died for you. You know, it, it's, it's a lot of these things that we hear, you know, in a salvation type of message. And it's really easy, especially if you've grown up in church your whole life. It's really easy to, to go through this stuff and just sort of like, yeah, yeah, I know, okay, okay, he died, okay, right, crucified, yeah, right, right. Sure. It's really easy like to, to gloss over this stuff. But these authors, they're making a point. You know, they, they could have mentioned this just a couple of times. You know, it's like, okay, we got, we got the point through. And it's, but they mentioned it multiple times. Like there, there is, there are layers and layers beneath this. They're like, no, 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 no. I don't think you get it. So I think we need to be really intentional when we read through scripture. We need to go through it slowly and really absorb and really read and study, you know, what's being said in scripture. Well, and that's Josh, but that goes, throws back to your, our, our original point uh, on the three, uh, that last one, the consensus, right? Like uh, everyone looks at these books and says, Hey, there's a lot going on. There's a level and a complexity, right? I mean, it, it throws back to the, uh, the third guardrail of the canon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay. So these, these new Testament documents, uh, incredibly sophisticated, uh, no doubt, no doubt. Okay. Shane, let's go to our, uh, second part of this question. And that is these documents, was this a solo effort by these biblical authors? No, um, there was definitely um, dictation going on, um, them speaking and conveying thoughts. And um, I mean, very clearly, it was a group effort, right? Someone writing, looking at the grammar, converting uh, Peter's and Paul's and different apostles' ideas, uh, and then shaping and sharpening them, right? Or take maybe... I mean, I, I kind of see uh, that at hand. Uh, I mean, look at the the verse Romans sixteen, verse twenty two. Um, it actually mentions the the guy that wrote that letter, right? Yeah, it says I Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. That's Romans sixteen twenty two. Now you know it says Tertius wrote this, but you know the mind of Paul was behind. Okay, actually, as we said before, the Holy Spirit is actually yes, the one behind absolutely. this, working yeah. through Paul, of course. 
hey, you're already bringing three, three or four people in there that, you know, the Holy Spirit, Paul, the actual writer. I mean, it, yeah, group effort. Yes, group effort. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, it says I Tertius right there in Romans. Um, there's another scripture, 1 Peter 5.12, and it says, By Sylvanius, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. So we see right there, again, we see the actual person who wrote it in scripture. I think it's important to see this. I mean, this is something you would come across, again, like we've talked about before, a close reading of scripture. Um, I think I think it's important to to, to recognize this. And I think for some, you know, that might be, that'd be bothersome. They may have a problem with that. Like, oh, I thought, you know, this apostle wrote this, but somebody else did. But actually, you know, I, I actually think it's kind of a cool thing. I actually think it's kind of a beautiful thing, really. Uh, just this idea that these, these letters and the, the, these books of the Bible that we have were very carefully crafted, very carefully thought out. They were very orderly and it took a lot of time to actually craft these and put them together. And I just think that's really beautiful. I think that's really cool. Well, and, and you know, the Jews had a much healthier view than the Greeks, uh, I believe. Uh, you know, the Greeks had, there was this thought process in in the Greek and, in the Greek and world that um, the flesh is kind of, the humans and flesh is kind of um, repulsive, right? And the yeah. ideal was... Um, you know, the ideal was not the human weakness, but I, I mean, you see within Judaism, you know, that, that, that matter and flesh, um, that they weren't totally just a negative thing, you know, that, that God became a man, right? He's not ashamed mm-hmm. of us, you know? And so God, God can use people, right? Oh, yeah. Like, you know, so it's not this idea because, you know, I almost think the automatic writing view and, and some of those views that are put forward, it's almost like they're ashamed of the humanness of, of humans, and the mm-hmm. idea that, hey, it, it's all right if it took a while, if it had effort involved, um, if it had a struggle involved. Um, God, you know, God doesn't see us as, he's not ashamed of us, right? right. I mean, he, he came to save us and um, he knows the limitations of, of humans, you know. So sometimes in the Greco-Roman world, there was this idea that matter was uh, distasteful, right? The human's flesh. And so, yeah, I, I don't see... A biblical framework, it's it's totally within that that humans wrote the Bible under the inspiration of God, right? He doesn't God doesn't have to distance himself from human effort. Nope. In fact, if with a with a close reading of scripture, we can see that God actually wants to carry out his purposes through imperfect humans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. see it all through the Bible. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, so just kind of wrap up here. Yeah, we, we we can say that this is definitely not a solo effort. This was Kind of a, um, in, in, some, in some ways of speaking, a, a group effort. Uh, more than one individual, for sure, for sure. Okay, let's move on to our, our next point here. And our, to wrap up this whole, um, how, 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 these, how these documents were actually physically crafted. Many of them were written on parchment. And if you don't know what parchment is, it was a writing material made from animal skins. And this stuff was not cheap. It was not easy to come by. You know, again, we, we talked about before about bringing sort of our modern ideas, the modern way, ways of uh, how we do things. You know, for us, you know, we can, if we want to write something real quick, we just pull out a piece of notebook paper. If we don't like it, no big deal. We crumble up, go grab another one, or we type up another email or whatever it may be. That wasn't the case back then with these parchments at all. You know, if, if, if you put down the money, if you were going to actually write one of these, you better darn sure know what you're going to say on it. Romans wasn't written on the back of a napkin, right? I thought you were going to say Romans wasn't written in a day. 
just making up your own little sayings here on the podcast. That's a great line, Josh. I love that. No, it isn't. No, Romans wasn't Romans wasn't written in a day, dude. That's an awesome line. I love it. Uh, I should probably take this out, but I probably won't. <laughs> okay, okay. So I feel like we should probably also mention that they also had note taking materials uh, back in the first century. It was made from wooden or ivory frames, and it's kind of filled with wax. And uh, I think it's sort of a cheaper method uh, of, of of writing and recording things. Now, and I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure though that these didn't really survive time as well as the parchments did. Yeah, these like wax frames and stuff. But that's the materials they had, though. That's what they had to work with: um, these parchments and these little note-taking devices. So, so Josh, what's that? So is it correct to say that there was intentionality about every part? <laughs> there was expense oh, and yeah. intentionality in every part of it. Well, wouldn't we expect that? I mean, this is God's word. Yeah. Right? This is communication from God. This is how I would expect it. You know, something that's carefully put together, uh, carefully crafted, well thought out, orderly. I mean, he's an orderly God. This is kind of what I would expect, I think. So, man. so let's get to our last point here, Shane, uh, from the episode. Now, this is a common consensus. If you watch certain movies about how our Bible was put together. Oh, okay. Well, first off, Shane, could you define the word canonization for us? So um, it means like a standard that that it had to meet a particular criteria of acceptance or rejection, that there, there was a standard that it had to meet. Okay, so when we say books are canonized, that's what we're referring to right there. Yeah, pass the test or not. Exactly. So so some people think about like, well, what about the church councils? Now, Shane, one thing you said as we were you know, prepping for the show, the whole church council. So, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Let, let's, let's explain this. So, so, so there were church councils that met. Now, Shane, this was something you said you didn't even know existed until after being a Christian for a long time. And you were like, why have I never heard of this before? Yeah, um, coming from um, the biblical Christianity um, and what is typically in our culture called Protestantism, it's this idea that, um, you know, not connected to the, the Catholic uh, tradition or the early church, a little bit more distance involved. And so, um, you know, it's almost this idea of here's the Bible, the finished product, but I, I didn't know much about how it got to me. Right. Yeah. I, I see awesome effect it had in my life. Um, I'd love the Bible, but then, um, not knowing much of the backstory. And I was shocked, um, that there is actually a very strong tradition of how we got the Bible, how the books were selected. And uh, there was just some distance, a little bit of cloudiness to that because of rightfully so, there's a lot of emphasis on the work itself, right? Mm-hmm. And there was less emphasis on how it got to me. And so as, as we looked into uh, that, it's, it's really cool to see. I, I think I would encourage any Christian to know how the Bible, not just know the Bible, but know how the Bible got to them. Right. Right. It's part of the story. And it's really important to see that, especially because, um, as the Bible clearly teaches, we have enemies, right? We have, there's people that want to tear down the authority of the Bible. Um, they want to displace the Bible. And so, uh, it's very important to know how it got to your hands. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, that's why we're doing this whole series, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, some people think that a bunch of guys all got together. And got in this room and they sort of decided, hey, today, you know, 
We're going to decide. Yeah. Uh, a smoky dark. What's, what's, what's that? <laughs> a smoky dark room. A smoky dark room. Curtains drawn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a bunch of white Italians, right? Got into a room. <laughs> but a lot of people think this. A lot of people think that's how our Bible came together. And it was just guys got together and just sort of decided this for everybody. But if you actually do the research, if you actually go look and evaluate this stuff, it's just not true. No, not at all. It's just not true at all. Yeah, Shane, Shane, did you did you ever hear anything like this? Like at, you know, at any point in your life, about you know some church councils got together, they met, they decided everything for us. They decided what was in our Bible. Yeah. I know, I know, I, I did definitely, yeah. And it was always like you said, it was some arbitrary authority figure, murky waters, right? That made the decision, right? Like it was unclear how it got to us, rather than these being some of the most documented facts on earth. Yeah, I mean, and for me, like Nicaea, like that was one of the only ones I'd ever heard of before, mm-hmm. and that was even when I just like first started to like actually look into things. That was before I even really, you know, and that was even before you know I even considered like how did my Bible get into my hands today? You know, I just yeah. I just kind of accepted it, but, th- but then I actually did the research. I actually started looking into these things, and then then you come to find out that Nicaea wasn't about that at all, despite everything I'd heard and all the stuff I'd been told. That yeah, it was Nicaea was there to decide wasn't your Bible. Come to find out, that's not what it was about at all. You know, it's like these early church leaders, they met together and they were trying to discuss Arianism. This, you know, question uh, that dealt with the deity of Christ. That's actually what it was about. Now, there were there were six other councils. So as Protestants, we do recognize there were seven councils that actually met uh, to discuss various things. Um, All cards on the table, Catholics, Catholicism, they recognize 21 councils. So they have an additional 14 uh, that they would include in there as well. But as Protestants, you know, again, we only recognize uh, seven of those councils. But none of those councils, none of those seven councils ever met to decide whether or not Scripture should be canonized, yeah. like what books should be in the Bible. Now, the other 14, the ones that Catholics recognize, that they, recognize they do have some, or one, I, I can't remember exactly how many there are. There was one, but um, there was a church council that did meet to canonize and decide what would go in the Bible. But as Protestants, of course, we do not recognize those councils, uh, and therefore no council ever actually decided what would go in our Bible. And again, going back to what we talked about earlier in the episode, you know, these documents were already being recognized by the early church. Well before the councils. You know, Nicaea didn't even meet till like 325. Yeah. So it wasn't like the early church was in some kind of a state of disarray for, you know, approximately three centuries. You know, they were already recognizing these documents as authoritative. Well, Shane, that's going to wrap it up for us today. On our next episode, we're going to look at the question, why were some books left out of the Old Testament? Why do we see some of these other books is a great that great reportedly you know, should be in our Bible or maybe are in some, some people's Bibles, but not overall, you know, in the, in the overall Protestant Bible? So we're going to dive into that and have a real interesting look into why those books aren't in there. And remember, you can always find all of our podcasts, all of our blog articles, all of our information on our website, switchinglensespodcast.com. You can find us on, not Twitter, but the X, at Lenses Switching. Still not used to that one. And of course, you can always find us on Facebook and Instagram with all kinds of posts and things of that nature. And of course, if you have any questions, you can always email the show at feedback at switchinglensespodcast.com. Well, Shane, thanks for joining me, as always. Always love having your insight and all your views and work on this podcast. Always a pleasure. And everybody, we will see you later. Later.